there. And uh, I want to submit this to you tonight from the bottom of my heart. I'll read some scripture in just a moment. This will be coming essentially from the book of Philippians. Um, It was actually a letter written by the Apostle Paul to the local church in the city of Philippi. It would be like him writing a letter to Grace Church, be on the same level, if you will. And he wrote this letter from a prison. Uh, He had been uh, jailed for preaching the gospel. He was in Rome uh, when he wrote the letter. And uh, Paul had established this church in the city of Philippi. I'll explain to you in a moment where that is. After having had a dream of a man calling to him saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. When you read Acts chapter 16, you'll find that uh, Paul was wanting to go on various Uh, uh, he was frustrated, tried, he had put together a team to go to some areas that he was interested in, and God gave him this dream of a man in Macedonia saying, come and help us. So after his dream, he set sail and was joined by Luke. The city of Philippi, where Paul uh, was writing this letter to, where the church was at in this city, he wrote a letter to it, was a city in Macedonia. Macedonia is a geographical and historical region of the Balkan Peninsula in southeastern Europe. Its boundaries have changed considerably over time, but nowadays the region is considered to include parts of six Balkan countries, which include Greece, the Republic of Macedonia, Bulgaria, Albania, Serbia, and Kosovo. Just so you'll know, this is the region of Macedonia where Paul went and when he arrived in Macedonia he went to a city called Philippi and he started a church there. The city of Philippi had been established as a Roman colony where retired soldiers could live and enjoy the full privileges of being a Roman citizen so there were very few Jewish people in Philippi. We know this because when Paul and Luke arrived there There was no synagogue or a Jewish temple, if you will, where they could go and preach. Uh, It would be like going to an American city without an apostolic church there. Uh, It's kind of the way they took that. Also, the letter to the church at Philippi contains no references to the Old Testament, which is interesting because the residents or the people that Paul was reaching out to in the city of Philippi were not Jewish people. They didn't know what the Old Testament was. And uh, so there's no reference to the Old Testament in the book of Philippians uh, when Paul wrote this letter, and um, uh, which is part and parcel of Paul's other writings. Paul and Luke began preaching in Philippi, and eventually there was a lady named Lydia and a person that the Bible calls the Philippian jailer. In Acts chapter 16, you remember him when Paul and Silas was thrown in jail and the jailer got all upset when the earthquake hit and all the prisoners was loose and uh, Paul and Silas was able to convert him. So there were at least two people in the city of Philippi. There was Lydia and then the Philippian jailer. 
Eventually, Paul found it necessary to leave Philippi, but Luke stayed and helped the church. The church at Philippi became a great joy to Paul, and the church was always willing to be a source of strength and financial support for the work that Paul was doing. This is one of the main reasons one of the main reasons Paul writes the letter to the church of Philippi is he wanted to express thanks for all they had done to help him preach the gospel in various places around that known part of the world. That being the case, and I made this whole presentation to, to, make, this, to, to make that presentation, is that there wasn't a lot of people there. There wasn't a lot of people that were of renown. But the small church of believers that were there, we know of at least two, but I'll show you in a moment where there were actually more than that. He referred to uh, elders and bishops and what have you. But they were supportive of his ministry and ultimately became a source of strength and literal joy for him uh, as he preached the gospel in other places. So it has become accepted that joy is the theme of the book of Philippians. That seems to be what Paul expresses the most in the book of Philippians. But that joy was his expression over what the church meant to him that was in Philippi. Paul usually wrote to a church because of a particular problem that they were facing. But that's not true of the Philippian letter. When you read the book of Philippians, you don't find problems. He does take time to deal with a problem that had risen between two women in the church. But it's not the bulk of his writing. Again, there is one overarching theme in the book of Philippians, and it's joy. Five times Paul used the word joy. He used the word rejoice 11 times. And most commentaries agree that the key verse in the book of Philippians is Philippians 4, chapter 4, verse 4, when Paul said, Rejoice in the Lord always, and I will say again, rejoice. So Paul opens up this letter to the church at Philippi. This is going to get better in a minute. I'm just, I want to give you a foundation of why uh, the, the presentation I'm going to make is going to have the substance in it that it will. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul and the Bible said, Paul and Timotheus, or Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus which are at Philippi, with the bishops and deacons, grace be unto you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul begins the letter to the Philippians in much the same way he opens his other New Testament letters. He identifies himself as the writer along with Timothy, who is with Paul at the Roman prison. Paul also quickly lets the people know his true position of leadership in the kingdom of God, and that is that he is a servant. Stop and think for a moment about the man who is writing this letter. He was educated in the very finest schools of that time. He was a Pharisee, which means he was a strict follower of the law. That would be the law of Moses of the Old Testament. He had been converted to Christianity while on his way to kill Christians, as you know the story. He had performed miracles, established churches, and wrote the majority of the New Testament but yet he calls himself a servant, which literally means a slave. Paul had realized what so many others have not, 
no matter how high we go in this world or how much acclaim we are given by men, we are, as Christians, called to a life of serving others. That is true. And I want to say tonight in passing, there is a big difference between serving in a position or under the name of a title and serving others. There's a difference between the two. And if you've not learned how to serve others, you're missing an incredible blessing in your relationship with God. Paul, having established his position as servant, then greets all of God's holy people in Christ Jesus, he said. And then he greets the leadership of the church, calling them overseers and deacons. My desire tonight is to show you the heart of a pastor and how a pastor derives his joy from those he is called to serve. And I believe that if God calls a man to pastor a church, then that pastor should have, should receive joy from his people that he pastors. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1 verse 3, he said, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Always in every prayer of mine for you, all making request with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is, as it is meet for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense of and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers of my grace. For God is my record, how greatly I long after you all in the bowels of Jesus Christ. It's a very serious, very heartfelt presentation that Paul is making. He's putting his heart out. He's given his heart to them and telling them how he feels about them. Paul in the first 11 verses of Philippians has given us a glimpse into his prayer life because these verses record how he prayed for the Philippian people. He said, I thank my God every time I remember you. I can only imagine that as Paul begins this prayer, his mind begins to roll back to the great miracles of conversion in Philippi. This church was established with amazing supernatural events, and Paul's mind probably went back to when he was thrown into prison at Philippi. Paul and Silas are in jail. You know the story. At midnight, they begin to sing praises to God, and the Lord sends an earthquake to break open the jail. The jailer was about to kill himself because the prisoners were escaping, but Paul uses this opportunity to preach the gospel to him and eventually to the jailer's family. He remembers the day the Lord led him to go out to the river to pray. When he reached the river, he found women there and began to preach the gospel to them. And there was a woman named Lydia who responded to the preaching and was baptized and also opened up her home to the disciples and she fed them and she allowed the word of God to be preached there. Paul was no doubt remembering the demon-possessed girl who was hopeless, but because Paul was willing to preach to Philippi, the girl was set free from the demon and converted in Acts chapter 16. I can only imagine the smile that must have crossed Paul's face as he remembered the marvelous things 
that God had done at Philippi. And then he goes on to say, In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I'd like to remind all of you here tonight, as we are about to close out 2019 and uh, meet 2020 here in a few weeks, and uh, we have a path, we'll have a vision path for Grace Church, and but just as the end of this year, the past several months have, have come together, uh, I've wanted to make this presentation tonight. So I'll remind you, this isn't the first church I pastored. The church we started in Youngstown, Ohio, to my knowledge, is, is no longer even in existence. Uh, it's very heartbreaking because of the time, the effort, and what have you that we spent uh, building that church and establishing it. One time, it was a full; it, it would support a pastor full time. And where I love that church, and of course we still remember the people that were in that church, I have found it to be a very amazing thing that God allowed us to come, literally to come back home and pastor in the area where I was born and raised, where Sister Murphy moved here when she was 16 years old. There might be a thing or two that we've surrendered by not being a more of a stranger to this area. Um, I'll say it this way. Um, there's a lot of people that knows Glenn Murphy in this area uh, from days before I was in ministry. And uh, I see those people periodically, and I'm razzed about this and that and the things that I've said and done and what have you. Uh, I know there's other pastors that pastor in this area that no one knows anything of their past, only what they have very carefully uh, put out there for people to know. So there's they miss out on that fun part of pastoring in this area. But I will tell you that uh, Sister Murphy and I love this church beyond what you maybe you folks can even understand. She and I have been in ministry for about 36 years. We've preached in over 26 states. In my travels, I've had the opportunity to be with some awesome men of God who were mightily used in pastoral ministry. But on many occasions, I've heard them speak about the people that they lead. I've listened to them pour out their heart about some horrific situations that people were going through and how they were trying to help the situation as a matter of fact I've been summoned into the pastor's office with the pastor to be set there as a witness and listen to him try to save marriages when a spouse had cheated on her other her spouse or his spouse whatever the case was I've listened to pastors go to extent and, and degrees in ministry that I prayed to God I never would but I've listened to these men, and, and it's helped me to see that even in times of trial and testing, when they have families that have beset them, families that have disappointed them, families that have let them down, even in the midst of all that trial and testing, 
their joy still comes from being able to be a part of these people's lives. But on the other hand, there's been those times, and thankfully very few that I've listened to pastors pour out their bitterness about the people they lead. I've even asked a pastor or two here and there in years past that if your church people are that horrible to you, I'd just resign and go somewhere else. It's occurred to me looking back in retrospect, it wasn't necessarily the people. It was the pastor that would bring the fight out in people. And these pastors become overwhelmed by the situations that their people have faced or how the saints of God had hurt them deeply. And ultimately, there was no joy to be found in their work for the kingdom. The pastor I just referred to, that I I felt sometimes that he was so bitter towards some of his saints. He doesn't pastor in this state, so don't try to go down your list of figure out who I'm talking about. Besides that, he's dead. But as soon as he passed on, not only did his wife depart from ministry, she departed from the church. She's not living for God today. I believe there's a calling that that goes with pastoral ministry that is so very unique. I believe it has to be sought after carefully. I don't believe everybody's cut out for it. Uh, I don't believe everybody can do it. I believe it's admirable when a man attempts to pastor a church, realizes he can, he needs to give it up and go do something else and not hurt that church and not destroy that church. But when you are called to be pastor... And then you, you can do it by God's help. I don't know how to describe the fulfillment, the satisfaction, the, how it humbles you, how it impacts your life as pastor. And that's how I feel about Grace Church, and so does Sister Murphy. You people, we, look, we've all had our share of problems. There's folks here tonight that... We've been a part of a lot of your struggle and trial and what have you. But when you take a step back and you look at what God has done and what God is doing, it brings joy unspeakable. And I'm very thankful for that. When Paul remembered the people at Philippi as he prayed and poured out his heart to the Lord, he found it to be a great source of joy. There's no trace of bitterness, no trace of anxiousness in his voice. There's just joy, joy in the fact that From the very beginning of the church at Philippi, the people have lovingly and willingly partnered with Paul in preaching the gospel around that known part of the world. They loved him, and he loved them. I can honestly say that as as, as I remember the people of Grace Church, and I believe I can speak for Sister Murphy as well, we can, much like Paul, pray with a whole lot of joy and a whole lot of gratitude. My mind goes back to the times we've had together and how you have partnered with Sister Murphy and I as we have sought to get this church off the ground. The joy that Paul experienced because of the Philippians gave him the confidence to say, and I'll say it to us tonight, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The church at Philippi had partnered with Paul in the gospel, and because of this, Paul knew that God was going to 
partner with them in helping them endure to the end. God had begun a good work in these people, and He will. Um, emphatic use of the word absolute assurance. He will continue that good work in them until Jesus returns. I want to say to this church that God has begun a good work in you and the good work that he has begun in you. He's able to continue that. He's able to see you through tough times and good times. He's able to heal you. He's able to renew you. He is able So much like Paul tonight, I feel like it is right for me to feel this way. I love Grace Church. I love our church families. And I want the best for each and every one of your lives. There's no greater joy that I receive than seeing you achieve and strive for the things of God. You don't know how many times I've had lunch with people who I know when they have given sacrificially. I know when they've just put themselves out there. And uh, you look back uh, over the past months and years and you see now they're, they're blessed, their families are blessed. And as you, you just have to understand how fulfilling it is. I've seen families come back together. I've seen people restored. I've seen people heal physically, mentally, emotionally on so many different levels. And they're such a source of joy. I can tell you here tonight beyond any shadow of a doubt, when you preach the gospel to people and they receive it, the gospel works. So just for a few moments tonight and the time I have remaining, let me talk to you about a prayer, a pastor's prayer for his people. I get text often, often. Pastor, please pray for us, please pray for us. This is going on, that's going on. I understand what people are saying, but there's never a time when we're not praying for you folks. In other words, technically, you never have to ask. You never have to ask. You're going to be prayed for. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, he said, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment or discernment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God. So there are four things that I am praying God will do for all of you who are a part of Grace Church. Number one, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge, and depth of insight or discernment. The first prayer is that God will, would help your love for Him, that God would help your love for the people of God and, and the lost to increase more than it ever was. The Lord desires to use each and every one of you in a very special way. Yes, He does. He has a plan for your life and calling for you to fulfill, but ultimately, He wants you to love Him because of who he is. He doesn't want your love today and then no love tomorrow. And so I'm praying that you that you love and that your love would be nonstop and that through your love for him, your knowledge would increase and that you would have insight into the world around you that demonstrates the wisdom 
of God. The second thing is so that you may be able to discern what is best. To discern what is best. Sister Murphy and I pray this consistently, especially for those of you who have children at home. You're not only, your decisions not only affect your life, but it affects theirs. So as we pray that your love for God grows and your insight is increased, you would be able to make right decisions. Connotation of this passage is that of an assayer. It's an, a tester of metals, being able to choose between precious metals, knowing what metals to blend together, what metals to discard, what metals to use, uh, so that you can produce proper weaponry and other items that would be made out of, out of metal, being able to discern what to use and what not to use. I pray that all of our parents could do that in your marriage, in your parenting, in your spiritual decisions, that you always do the right thing. My prayer is that you too would be like the man who is able to tell precious metal from rubbish. As you live for God, you're going to have you're going to have to make decisions about which road you'll travel. The world, the devil, and other influences will try to get you to make choices that will bring sin and shame into your life. And there's people here tonight that know what I'm talking about. I'm praying that you would make right choices. That you would not just make good decisions, but that you would make God decisions. I pray that you would be able to distinguish between those things that are going to benefit your walk with God and toss out so much of the rubbish that tries to destroy you as a person, that tries to destroy your marriage, your family, your children, and so on. Paul went on to say, I pray that you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. It's that while when you're trying to make decisions, when you're trying to identify what is best for your life, that you remember this one prayer request. In other words, you need to ask yourself, is the decision I'm about to make going to keep me pure and blameless? Paul is suggesting two things in this passage. He said, first, that people would keep him or herself pure, pure in thought, in action, in word, and so on. Secondly, that Christians would make decisions and live their lives in a way that would not cause others to stumble. going to be talking about that in the month of January. You not only have to ask yourself, will this decision spoil me, but also is what I'm about to do going to cause someone else not to believe in Jesus? So many people today say, I can do whatever I want as long as I'm not hurting anyone else. That's not at all true. Every action has an opposite and equal reaction. For the Christian, this attitude is completely wrong. When you give your life to Christ, you become His. And whatever you do, you're doing as His representative or as His ambassador. When Sister Murphy and I married, we became one. Whatever I do has an impact on how people see her. And vice versa, whatever she does has an impact, whether good or evil, on me. When I make decisions, I don't just ask, how will this affect me? But I ask, how will this impact my whole family? And I even take it a step further than that. 
How's it going to affect the church that I pastor? You folks have no idea how this account, this kind of accountability has kept me sober and serious and on a very straight path. I've been tempted as well as anybody else. Doors have opened just like they have for anyone else to really just have that one moment where you can just go do what you want to do and forget what anybody says or thinks. But the minute I think that, my family comes crashing into my mind, and this church does. And I've determined a long time ago it's just not worth doing something stupid. No matter how much pleasure there may be in the moment, it's not worth the damage. The same is true when making decisions about the church because whatever we do here at Grace has an impact on the whole church and in this community. And then finally, tonight, Paul said to be, he prayed that the folks would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. My final prayer request for you is that you be filled with the fruit of righteousness. My prayer for you is that as you grow in the knowledge and love of God, as you mature in making godly decisions, and as you strive to live lives of purity, that all of this, all of this would produce spiritual fruit. Jesus wants your life to be filled with fruit. His desire that your life be an example of joy to a world who has no joy. Well, buckle your seatbelt for the conclusion tonight. I would like to point out to you tonight what Paul never prayed for. There were some blanks that he didn't fill in when it came to his prayer life concerning the people at Philippi. He never prayed for their happiness. He never prayed for their wealth. And he never prayed for their health. Because he knew if God would answer his prayer based on what I've just presented to you, all these other things would never be an issue. Paul was not praying that their circumstances would change, but that the Philippians would experience a total change of life, not a change of circumstance. This is what I pray for you, that you discover the joy that comes in surrendering every part of your life to Jesus Christ to move beyond being just Sunday Christians and truly live the abundant life that Jesus has for all of us. Again, you folks are a great source of joy to Sister Murph and I. And I'm using the word joy, and it's not a clear substitute for the word happiness. Y'all can bring us a lot of joy, but you don't always make us real happy. Because happiness is based on happenings. But if you hang with Jesus, if you'll excuse the expression, if you stay with him, we all go through our ups and downs and we all do boneheaded stuff. But when you back off and you see people are still winning, they dumb, do. we all do dumb stuff, but we're still winning, we're still here, we're here to fight another day, that's where the joy comes from. And I'm thankful tonight to be the pastor of Grace Church and uh, hope that God will allow us 
to continue to do that here for uh, the next foreseeable future. Thank the Lord. We love you people. We love every one of you, you and your family. Um, we love your kids most of the time. And uh, I'm kidding. But uh, great church. You're a great church, and I'm very thankful for you. God bless you tonight. Why don't you give yourself some appreciation, would you? Clap your hands and give yourself and one another some appreciation for being fine folks. Thank the Lord. So what I want you to do is get up. Everybody stand up that can. If you can't stand up, don't worry about it. And I'd just like to walk for you to walk around the building before you leave tonight and shake somebody's hand and tell them I love you so much and I appreciate who you are. Appreciate the impact you have in the lives of people. Thank the Lord. Wouldn't hurt to tell your spouse that. Thank the Lord. God bless you. You're dismissed. We'll see you Sunday for our Christmas present.